Hello and welcome to Fresh Dialogues. I'm Alison Van Diggelen. Have you ever wondered how venture capitalists think? How do these masters of the universe decide what startups to fund and what ones to skip? I sat down with Scott Cooper to explore the secrets of venture capital. Scott is the managing partner at Andreessen Horowitz, one of the most successful VC firms in the world, and has a new book out which aims to demystify the VC mindset. We had a candid and lively discussion about the do's and don'ts of pitching VCs, lessons from Elon Musk's journey, diversity and bias, ethics, China and IP theft, and future trends. I asked him, "Is it okay to act like a pirate in the early stages of a startup?" Scott says it's sometimes necessary to move fast and break things, and ask for forgiveness later. We also discussed Theranos, the blood testing company, and he made an important distinction between not asking permission and outright fraud. The conversation took place at the Commonwealth Club in Silicon Valley on June 10, 2019. Here are some highlights of our conversation. Check out more interviews at freshdialogues.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, so let's talk about diversity. I'd love to get your take on the Me Too movement. Ellen Powell, Julian Guthrie's new book is just out. It's called Alpha Girls, about four women who took on the bad boys of venture capital, and they succeeded despite the odds. I don't know if you've read that book, but there's some yet, but yeah. there's some good lessons in there because it is it's a very tough place to thrive as a woman. I think the stat is less than ten percent of decision makers in the VC world are women. Yeah, I think that's right. So I think the number is yeah, it's about ten or twelve percent, depending on how you cut the numbers. And then, as we talked about earlier, about two percent of two、um, percent、uh, of kind of funding going to female founders. So. Uh, it's it's a real problem. So here here's how we think about it. So I think there's I think you have to think about the world in terms of two types of bias, right? There's there's explicit bias, which clearly the Me Too movement, you know, kind of you know、uh, exposed in a, in a very you know you know horrible way in many respects. Which is, look, there are people who are biased against women and other minorities, other cases, and that manifests itself in terrible behavior. And, and look, we just, we have to we just have to we have to root that stuff out. And and you know, it's not fun when you're in an industry where you start to see those types of things happening, but I think it's important in many respects. The Me Too movement that happened in venture capital was important to make sure that at least we shone a light on something that you know kind of was underground for many many years. You have to attack external, you know, kind of、uh, you know kind of explicit bias. I think the more challenging problem that we have to work on though is implicit bias. And I always use myself as an example. You know, I was lucky enough. I grew up in Houston in a very you know kind of comfortable middle class family. I came out here to Stanford, and so. I, whether I like it or not, I'm implicitly biased by the networks in which I came from, right? So, you know, when I'm going to hire a job, it's more likely than not that I can go look at、um, people I know from Stanford and hire them, right? Because they're familiar with me, and so my networks will reflect whatever bias is reflected in、um, in those networks. So, I think what we have to do, and what we're trying to do, is we have to figure out a way to recognize that, that implicit bias exists, and we also have to figure out a way to say, okay, how can we reach out to networks that aren't otherwise connected to ourselves? And do a better job of, of trying to do that. So, as an example, when we hire people in the firm, we say to our hiring managers, "Look, we know you've got your own networks, but let's also make sure that you're proactively reaching out to networks you wouldn't otherwise reach out to." So, I'll just give you a simple example. There's a group called MLT, which does a lot of work with African Americans who are trying to get into business and finance roles. And so, we say, "Great, let's send our job recs there." Because we acknowledge, okay, like we don't have great diversity in our own networks, but hopefully we will see some candidates as a result of doing that. And it's the same way we think about it in the firm, which is、uh, we have a fund that we call the Cultural Leadership Fund that we started, and it, it's, it does a lot of things. But one of the things it's supposed to do is to help improve our connectivity into the African American entrepreneurial community. 
And I think if we can do those things and at least say, hey, look, we are here, we're open for business, we recognize you may not have existing networks here, but we want to uh, help solve that problem. You know, I think the book, again, in some ways, hopefully, you know, kind of demystifying the business helps make it less of a black box and more inviting for people. I think that's the only way we're going to solve this problem. And, you know, I don't want to be pessimistic, but look, it's going to take time. These are, these are deep-rooted problems. These are deep-rooted challenges we have in the industry. These jobs at the, at the investment firms don't turn over very often. And so I think it's going to take some time. But I think if we think about this as a network connectivity problem, figure out how can we, you know, force ourselves to reach out into networks that we don't otherwise run into every day, I think we have a shot at least. And how many general partners are women at Andreessen Horowitz? 20% of our general partners are women today, so three out of 15. Uh, that's only in the last two years, though. So for you know the first eight years of our history, we did not have any female partners. We had a criteria that we had as a hard and fast rule when we first started the firm, which was that you had to have been a founder or CEO to be a general partner. We finally realized, of course, that's a very limiting you know, set, right? The, the set of kind of diverse candidates who have been founders and CEOs just isn't that big. That was a proxy for the real objective, which was how are you maximally attractive to the very best entrepreneurs in your domain? So what would cause an entrepreneur to actually want to choose you as a general partner to work with them? And we said, look, one way to, to evidence that is, yes, that you've been a founder or CEO in a company, but there's other ways to evidence that, right? You could be, you could be the domain expert you know, in this area. You could be you know, the number one blogger or the number one, you know, kind of speaker on a topic, or you might have other areas. So, you know, one of our general partners, Connie Chan, for example, is an expert on Chinese and U.S. business models in the consumer market. And that's incredibly attractive to consumer companies who are interested in learning from China and who also potentially might think of China as an end user market. So if, if we change that and realize that the, that the founder CEO is really just a proxy for the ultimate criteria, we can open up the funnel and therefore have a much more diverse candidate pool. And, you know, that's what's enabled us over the last couple of years to add, you know, three women to our general partner ranks. So let's talk about ethics. We had the cautionary tale of Theranos that imploded last year. It's a blood testing company that was shut down. Talk about quick lessons learned and also thoughts on Facebook. You know, they used to have a mantra, move fast and break things. They've moved back from that, but they have been cavalier about sharing our personal data, etc. Just talk about ethics and how you train the entrepreneurs you work with yeah. to have that front and center. So I think there's two important things that I would distinguish between. One is, um, you know, Theranos, which obviously we'll all, we'll all learn eventually because there are, as you know, you know, criminal and civil uh, investigations there. But I think there's a difference between, you know, you know, outright fraud, and and we don't know that that's the case. But at least, you know, there's at least an allegation of that, and we'll see what happens. Um, there's no question, obviously, that you know, that's you know, we we can't have behavior like that in this industry. Then I think there's kind of what you mentioned, which is kind of you know, I don't know, Facebook is the, is the perfect example, but there is. Um, this idea that um, sometimes, you know, kind of you have to kind of push faster than maybe sometimes kind of, uh, you know, kind of is comfortable. And, you know, you do break things sometimes and kind of ask for forgiveness a second. Um, and I, I think there are elements of that that are still fine in this business. So again, there's a difference, I think, between are you actually, com you know, committing crimes and are you defrauding people? And are you just trying to kind of, you know, move the ball quickly and you recognize that that means there's going to be iteration of products and sometimes you're going to put stuff out that may not be perfect. I think the, the big difference is as companies mature, it's a little bit kind of the Elon Musk question we talked about earlier. I think different standards of behavior are appropriate depending upon the size and the relative maturity of these companies. And so behavior like, you know, running fast and breaking things and kind of, you know, maybe putting out half-baked products, you know, I don't want to say it's, it's perfectly okay, but it's not as unacceptable in, 
the kind of you know pure startup world where the scope of the harm potentially is smaller because you're still dealing with relatively small amounts of customers. But you know when you get to a scale of a Facebook, look, I think you just have a different responsibility and a different level of attention that you have to pay to these these things. So it's a really important issue. What we try to kind of work with our companies on is um, you know we we our best our best bet on these companies is to hopefully use our persuasive. Uh, techniques to to make them value these things, but that over time, again, you know, kind of your your level of responsibility changes based upon your success. Again, it's a little bit goes back to kind of you know, are you the pirate or the navy? At some point in time, you know, you kind of have to act like the navy once you've actually conquered the ship. And so you're saying it's activity, okay to be like a pirate in the early stages when you're approaching VCs in the early days? Yeah, it's so it depends on what pirate means. Yes. Um, <laughs> so what I am saying, what is okay is yes. Look. Fraud and misleading people and stuff like that is clearly not right. But the idea that yes, like you might enter into a market where you're not exactly sure what the product should look like. You know, you might have a theory on what your regulatory structure is, but you're not 100% sure. I mean, I'll give you a great example. You know, as you know, we're investors in Airbnb and Lyft. Those companies probably couldn't have been successful if they asked for permission every time they went into a new market uh, and waited for that to happen, just because you know it just didn't work, right? And so you could argue, and you may say, look, that was unethical. And, you know, they should have kind of gotten permission first. I think the reality is, and I think what they did fine was they said, look, we're going to go into a market. We believe we have a, we have a defensible theory on why what we're doing is appropriate from a regulatory perspective. But we also know that we're likely to get challenged on that. But over time, the idea that, look, if the consumer utility is big enough, there is a way to actually deal with these issues. So that's kind of my definition of a pirate. I think that's reasonable, acceptable behavior. You know, fraud and misleading people is not acceptable.